0: hello and welcome to the playground podcast i'm chris byrne and this week we're talking to jim McCafferty of the toy inventing group jmp creative he's president and ceo and he tells me he gets two salaries for two titles (laughs) this is an interview i was able to conduct earlier this year while we were still able to travel remember that We'll get to my interview in a moment, but first, the Playground podcast is supported by Global Toy Experts, The Toy Guy, and ChizCom. For those of you who might not know, ChizCom is a leading 360-degree PR and media marketing agency specializing in the toy and children's industries, and that brings innovative solutions to today's dynamic marketplace. Through insight, engagement, and just plain fun, the company brings brands to life in compelling ways in all types of media. As the market's largest purchaser of children's media, Chizcom delivers advertising and media placement strategies that create breakthrough campaigns and achieve record results. I went to Jim's incredible creative studio in Irvine, California, where, after a lot of playing around, we sat down to talk. He describes the place as a magic workshop, and indeed it is, with lots of great technology, but you know, the real magic comes from the creative team of people he's assembled, The list of hit toys for which JMP Creative has been the mastermind is really impressive. But as Richard and I often do with our guests, I asked him how he
1: got started in this career. Yeah, well, my background is actually magic. He used to vanish cars and buildings. That that was my job and uh, make people float in the air and do that kind of stage thing in Vegas and on TV a little bit. And that got me into developing marketing campaigns for companies that involve magic. And that got us into hey, wait a minute, we need kids' meal toy ideas. And we were one of the companies that came up with those ideas for the kids meal toys. Really? Yeah. That was well, the I beginning of our world. And we, we became one of the top kids meal toy invention groups in the world. We we had, you know, the McDonald's, the KFC, the Pizza Hut, the Long John Silver, you know, all those great trademarks that I don't know if we can say right now. Can well, I say Well, you money? can
0: say anything you want to. I used to work with the marketing store in Chicago. Yep. yep. And uh so you were one of those people in the background that they didn't like to talk about?
1: We were one of those secret people the that would secret, invent.
0: The secret genius in the lab. Said, <laughs> bring us the fun toys. But they
1: were always the one who could actually manufacture it. That was the challenge of, hey, we need 50 million units. That's that's right. a skill set, too. So And
0: 50 million units landed in the store for, like, if it got to be a quarter— for the toy, that was really expensive. That had technology in it.
1: Yeah, we had to, we had to make our pennies really count. It right. Was, it was that is that two cents worth more magic? Yes or no? Right. Exactly. And is it going to sell? Is it going to sell more
0: burgers? Because I know that they were never really concerned about the, you know, about the profit on the Happy Meal. It was the profit on the meal of the parent who came in with the kid who wanted That's right. the Happy Meal. So it was That's always right.
1: a... the Nuggets pushed the the big burgers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's lovely. You should needlepoint that. Up. Yes, nuggets make the big burgers happen. <laughs> I like that.
1: So, how did you get into the into the, like the the great big toy designing from there? Well, we we got to the point where we said, wow, um, it'd be great to design something that costs more than a quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, having a little bit more budget, uh, and we started to invent toys that were, uh, you know. Dollar, two dollars, three dollars uh, cost, and right. and uh, we had to have a place for it. So we started pitching the big guys. So we got lucky enough with the credibility of inventing all those kids' meal toys that the big guys right. started to look at our stuff, and uh, it worked. They started to license our products. We became uh, in in the family of inventors.
0: Right, right, and and some of the ones that you've done, I mean, recent ones that I've loved: Unis, Orbeez uh what i'm i'm forgetting there's a whole room here you should see there's an entire room of the products that that uh, jim and his team have done
1: yeah we're we're very lucky we've had a lot of wonderful products and games like shark bite so you did fly and fry and donuts for right. for Maya, which was awesome yep fly and fry and donuts uh shark bite uh catch the fox uh we've been really lucky. a lot of craft we love craft activities we did pom-pom wow Pom Pom Wow
0: was incredibly fun, and attendees at Toy Fair may remember that Jim and his team and Maya covered an entire car with Pom Pom Wow at Toy Fair. That was really casting back to the old-fashioned kind of event that we used to see at Toy Fair throughout the 80s and 90s. And at the time of this conversation... Crayola's Glitter Dots was just coming on the markets. Of course, it's since been a tremendous hit. It's in its second year right now, but it's significant to go back and look at how it was created, the problem it solved, and why it was such a breakthrough product. We continued chatting.
1: And we have a new one that we're super, super
0: excited about called Crayola Glitter Dots. I love this. This is These are like little balls. we were describing them as, as rabbit droppings. <laughs> well, I'm not describing them that way. <laughs> heavens no heavens no uh but it's 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 moms hate mess and kids love glitter
1: that's right so if the rabbit was an easter bunny (laughs) it would make these wonderful little balls that you could decorate with so no but the the beauty was that was the whole goal of the product when we worked on this we said how do we make glitter less messy right and that that was the true goal of this because mom's they don't like glitter because it's it's just a big mess to clean up. It oh, just lasts man. forever. It doesn't go away. Right. Even Stanley Steamer won't get out all that glitter. <laughs> exactly. So that's where we came up with this idea about how to put it into a compound and uh, design it in such a way that it would actually dry. But we had to work with one of the best companies in the world when it comes to craft activity and, of course... Uh, and color. And color. And uh, Crayola was the best partner we could have on this. They really embraced it and... Added so much to the magic of the product. It really is a magical product, and it reminds me of the
0: last big glitter, no mess was Kenner's Sparkle paints in the '60s, uh, which were a huge success. They were hugely successful because, again, it's glitter. Kids like things that glitter. Uh, yep, yep. But it was it was in that was in a, a kind of an acrylic paint base
1: probably toxic at the time (laughs) Oh,
0: well you know kids were more expendable back then i'm kidding i'm kidding don't send me nasty emails
1: but (laughs) the beauty is now it it can be really done in a a very safe way this is a compound and and it's a very safe approach to uh, kids crafting with glitter whether it's on the projects that are provided or even putting them on your shoes or putting them on different things and that's that's what we love i love products that are open-ended i'm a big creativity nut. I love to make it where kids can have more opportunities to be creative because unfortunately the art programs, the music programs, right. all those programs will be taken out of school. So we have to do what we can to give ch- chances for kids to get creative and really express themselves. So that's why we like these types of products.
0: Well, you know, I always talk about, you know, the three functions of play, you know, have new experiences, explore the world and self-expression. And that those are three components when you've got it, and you know the glitter dots are something that's going to be different for every child, and yet right. they are in this community of kids who are creating
1: with arts and crafts. And what's great is with uh, you know, the the social media component, mom and and grandma can show the great piece of art that their children have done because they're designed to be very successful. Right. Um, a lot of times, crafts are too complicated, or or in addition to being messy, they're just hard to do, so the success rate is far lower. With this you know whether it's a tween making something cool that they can wear to go out or it's a 5 year old creating something for gma uh,
0: <laughs> they're
1: all going to have success and that's something that we really strive for when we invent products like that and the way you play with it it comes it's, it's a
0: small ball it's only a couple millimeters in diameter you probably know exactly how many <laughs> <laughs> there's so
1: many jokes there but <laughs> 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 yes but they, they come in a, in a card, and right. they're all individually sealed, so you peel it back, open them up, and they'll actually air dry with time. So the right. beauty is they're soft and, and malleable, so the kids can actually place them on whatever it is they're uh, wanting to, to glitterify or glitterize or whatever, right. put the glitter on, and then uh, give it time, it'll dry. But it's, it's like a little bit of a, a putty type of an experience, right. which is great.
0: So depending on how the kids plays so with it, you can either like mash it out and make it like really really flat and cover a lot of area or you can make it a little bit, you know, more dense and, and Exactly,
1: you can you can Van Gogh it. You and can really give it some texture. <laughs> or you can really spread it out fine like a very good graphic artist at 5. Right? But unlike Van Gogh, don't eat them. <laughs> Not not what they're intended for. Right, right, I, I right. think he they're was,
0: safe, but it's not what they're intended for. Right. Near for the it. end, Van Gogh was eating his oil paints. I don't know if you, if you knew that. It's, I did see that biography. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah and there exactly. was a whole thing that he wouldn't listen. And no, right? Yeah, exactly. But but he was Van Gogh, and your kid is just
1: playing with some glitter dots. But they can be they can have successful art while right. they're hanging out in this world. And what I what I love about it is that there are. There, as you say,
0: it's very open ended. You can do things. You can create all kinds of stuff with it. But you can also use the uh, use the uh, forms for like keychains or other things. So you can right. be successful, uh, and that's great for kids of different ages and different abilities and and
1: different desires for what they want to play and what makes fun for them. Absolutely. What, what we've been excited about is when we started playing with some of the kids, the the tween girls actually went to the craft store and found jewelry that was blank sort of uh, like little metal jewelry uh, that they just you know picked up at the local craft store and they started putting the glitter dots into it and they look fantastic right so they actually kind of up the the ante on what you could do with these things right
0: but that's that's sort of the tradition of crayola since they introduced color to their crayons in 1903 right. that's sort of the the tradition of again being self-expressive
1: right it's creative without limitations it's it's definitely why we wanted to work with a company like Crayola, because they actually understand that fundamental of making something you can be successful at, and it's bright, colorful, and looks great. So when you look around and you're being creative and you say, hey, we want to do something with glitter,
0: but mom hates glitter. We want to do it with no mess. How does that process begin here
1: at uh, at the Magic Workshop? Well, we had one of the guys who was working on a project, and he was using glitter. And there was a lot of complaints because there was glitter on everybody when they went home and that's <laughs> not always the best thing. When you go home I go, what's all that glitter on your face? Where have you been? Exactly. <laughs> and that was the big joke around there. And it's like, oh no, we're working on crafts. And we saw, why, there's gotta be a way to make glitter, not so messy. And that's where we started with the question. How do you make a no mess or less mess glitter play? Mm-hmm. And that's where we started. And we tried a lot of things that didn't work until we found the right combination of things that we put together that actually accomplished the goal. So sometimes it isn't, it's not isn't—it's tough to find the answer, but the question's almost more important than the answer sometimes. Right, right. And
0: so then you start in on this and you look for, did you go through various different iterations
1: or try out different kind of formulas to sure. you found it? Yeah, so w- what we did is we originally experimented with a lot of different materials and, and trying to figure out whether the glitter was in a hard format, or if it was something that was more crumbly, or if it was mixed with something else. Uh, There's just a lot of trial and error. We're sort of uh, those guys out there that just try things till we find it works. Right. So then you get it, and it works, and yay, and then you have to find a home for it. Yeah, then we <laughs> have to find somebody who uh, will have faith and believe in what we're trying to do. Uh, and it turned out that, you know, Crail was the perfect partner. We went in and showed it to him, and before we pitched it, we said, "Hey, we think we have this great way to have uh, less mess glitter." And they said, "Well, if you had that, that would uh, that would be a big deal because we've been trying yeah. to do that for a long time. So uh, show us. Let's see. And they they saw, and we, I think we had a deal before we walked out of the room.
0: There's no question that the toy industry has changed so much in recent years. And as it's evolved, it's changed the role, responsibilities, and risks of inventors. So I asked Jim where the opportunities were and about his business model and the process of being an invention company. After all, he's not like those guys from Whammo who started out just by cobbling stuff together in the shed behind their house. So... That's one of your many, many success stories, because you've said basically you want to be able to make enough money making fun things that you can make more fun things. What is that? What is that that you say is your business model? Right,
1: It's a very simple business model. We want to make enough money to make fun things to make enough money to make fun things. It just kind of repeats over and over. Uh, That's that's the way we structured the company. And it's been been good for us. And we're lucky enough that we've got a lot of product out there.
0: And, and as I see a lot of the, the major companies and even some of the smaller companies investing less in R&D, it's not just in uh, the toy industry. I mean, the DuPont company has you know, invested a lot less in R&D in recent years. Uh, but R&D is what makes these these toy companies. So you're invaluable to to a lot of the toy companies.
1: We, we're, well, we're, we're very valuable in waves. When they're really successful, we don't need you. When they're <laughs> struggling, oh my God, we need you. And then we help them get strong and then they say, okay, we don't need you as much now. And then all of a sudden, oh, we need you again. So right. it's kind of in waves and, and I get it too in, in fairness, but as long as you have something really special and really unique, There's pretty much always a customer.
0: Right, right. And I think that that's one of the things that that I I talk a lot about with people, which is, you know, people are saying, we're being innovative. Well, what does innovative really mean? I mean, sometimes it can be as simple as taking painting and glitter and making a a viable thing.
1: Like, why are we getting a royalty for that? It's so obvious. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Exactly. because a lot of companies are investing less in R&D, they're depending more and more on companies like yours to to bring them ideas, to do a lot of the heavy lifting, uh, so that when you come in with an idea, then they
1: can they can take it and hopefully put it into a brand. The the funny thing is, is the toy industry is one of the few industries that you can actually pitch a product prior to it being patented or protected. The big companies have not learned. Uh, And it could be because there's too many people that don't uh, understand what an innovation is, or they don't understand about parallel design that someone else might've thought of at first right? uh, or at the same time. But it's something that where a lot of big companies don't understand that maybe opening the doors to the right people, they could get a lot more innovation at a high rate. If everything has to be patented before we can pitch, Mm -hmm. the math doesn't work, but the toy industry is different. They actually are open to this idea because it's been a successful model for the last... 30 to 40 years, uh, maybe even 50 years, where you can, they're willing to look. They're willing to look. You've signed paperwork that says, hey, we understand you've got a lot of ideas, but this has to be outside of the scope of what you're doing currently. You've documented what you have, I've documented what I've had, we've acknowledged whether what I've shown you is new and unique to you. And if it is, then you have the option to license it or uh, take that product to run with it. And the toy industry is very unique. Not a lot of other industries are willing to do that, which is a bummer because I think the uh, innovation that comes out of these toy inventors out there could be a big help to some of those big companies. Right. right. And so so when you do something and, and a
0: toy company takes it, who then gets the patent?
1: That's always an interesting discussion. Okay. Um, okay, Because we, we, we do the invention. and some companies, they obviously they put us on the uh, patent but we sometimes notice a lot of extra names that seem to wanna go on there. Right. And there's always a pretty big discussion about that because obviously when the license runs out, we still need to be able to take our uh, intellectual property back because that's something that we have licensed. We haven't sold it, we've only licensed it. So there's always a a pretty interesting discussion. It's usually built into the contracts. It's understood that any progression of the idea comes back to us. If it's something that is a freestanding element, then they can keep that. Okay. But it's it's always a, a big discussion for something that's super successful.
0: Right. Well, yeah, and that for something that's risky, it's like when I do a book, there's always a discussion as who's going to own the copyright. Does the copyright stay with me or does the does does the publishing house that is putting up all the money to produce the darn thing right. um do they own the copyright and it does become a discussion or does it, you know, does it at some point revert back to me. So it's it's I guess every deal is different. I
1: guess it's it's risk reward risk and, and, and risk in fairness reward. Some of these companies are investing a lot in the circumstance of glitter dots. There was a lot of chemistry involved and the Crayola company was, uh, significant to helping mm-hmm. make this really come to reality. And we're appreciative of all the contributions that they made too. So this felt more like a collaboration in this particular instance. Okay. Um, other times we might be giving it to someone ready to go and it is what it is. And we might file that patent or it may be a collaborative thing. Okay. Okay,
0: well that's 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 interesting. And again, every you know every toy is different. Every deal is different. Right. It's gonna it's just gonna depend. There is no there are no hard and fast rules, which is one of the reasons the toy industry is so dynamic. Let's use that word, <laughs> because, or, or, or fluid, <laughs> or fluid. <laughs> because there is no there are no hard and fast rules. I mean, it's it's we were talking earlier. The it's the only business where what sixty percent forty or sixty percent of the product is new every year.
1: Yeah, it's it's in this industry. It's like fashion every year. It's about what's new. So seldom do you have a line that lasts more than a one to three years. That's pretty much the timeframe. And sometimes they'll let it sit for a while and then they'll bring it back. But reality is it has to be refreshed. It's a ferocious audience that wants something new. new right, something new. new. And, the, and the
0: retailers and the kids Now,
1: but the kids, you know, you can bring
0: something back because the kids aren't, you know, they've only been around four or five, six years. They're not really nostalgic. They They have very little institutional memory. <laughs> right well <laughs> at age 5 <laughs> and and age compression they grow out of toys so fast so fast so fast so we have a short window to make the toys that makes marketing a lot more important than right. it, than it used to be and this is one of my hobby horses that I'm constantly uh, talking about which is well you've made this toy it's like the movie business now you need to invest almost as much in promoting it in a crowded uh, fragmented marketplace as you did to create the thing in the first place. Or maybe even more. Or maybe even more. And you've done some really innovative stuff. You guys are doing some really breakthrough stuff using video, not just reliant on YouTube and other people doing it, but you guys are making that part of your process, the creative uh, expression of the toy.
1: Right. Well, whenever we invent a toy now, we always think about what's the YouTube moment? You know, uh-huh. What is the, the way the, the kids or the people on YouTube are going to express and show how this product works? How is it shareable? That's a big discussion we have when we create product. It isn't just, oh, this is fun and this is cool, but how is anyone going to know about it? Well, it's only going to—they're only going to know about it if we share. And I think that's why we put a whole video production team together. We built a full, full-blown studio here. It's—it's <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, this—the this studio is set up to where not only can we shoot all of our own videos and TV commercials and things, in addition to creating the product, we also can bring out uh, other YouTube kids or Instagram or. Uh, TikTok kids and have them, you know, have fun here in our facility and play with our projects and and help us share with the world what we're talking about and what this product does.
0: And it's funny because you talk about the YouTube moment all through the '70s and '80s and even the '60s. People were talking about the uh, the TV moment. What's the TV moment? Why did Why did Tickle Me Elmo uh, vibrate? Because it looked better on TV when he giggled and vibrated. And then you go back even further. Uh, to the 60s, you have one minute, one whole minute, one minute, maybe sometimes two-minute commercials about the toys that show kids
1: how to play with them. And that's something you've talked about as being important. Yeah, I think the thing that the toy companies don't realize is they think, oh, I'm going to do an ad. I'm going to put that on YouTube. I'm going to do an ad. Well, it's not about an ad. It's about showing people how to use the product in lots of fun ways. And you're right, those commercials that used to be a minute long or even longer sometimes- They showed kids playing. Hey, what a concept. Right. Right. (laughs) But as soon as we got to that 30-second, 15-second. Right, 15-second. 15-second commercials, it's like, hey, it's a great Toyota. Okay, we're done. It doesn't really give you the ways to play. And I think that's where we want to show some of the open-ended opportunities. My job is to show people lots of ways to play. So we invent different ways to play with the product, wacky ways to play with the product that shows how kids really interact in real life. And I think that's, uh, that's been a big help. So that's why we, we built a whole team and a studio to do that. So, but we only do it on our products because it's not something we do for the outside world. We just do it for our products to help get the word out. So that's one kind of video you do, which is the how to how
0: to play with it. And I'm reminded of the Kenner's girder and panels from the '60s. And I remember toy. it was a great toy, <laughs> and I wanted that so much, and I didn't get it. Um, but my I, f- I didn't either. My friend David Lowe toy, had though. it. My friend David Lowe had it, so I would go over to his house and and play with that because it was. And the, I remember the commercial. It was kids actually building the girders and panels, and you looked at that and thought, "That's fun! I can build an entire city." Right, you know, And that that's, so that, that's what drove the desire, but you also, so you do those that, that show kids how to play with it, but you also do some, some really crazy stuff. I mean, you guys developed Orbeez.
1: Uh, well, we didn't invent Orbeez themselves. Those were you know, the, the water seeds, but uh, we got to work with the Maya toy company. They're a great group and uh, they, they had the foot spa and they looked for other ways to create fun products. And we started to help them develop uh, you know, crafting and different right. approaches with the Orbeez And then we got to start doing some videos and we did crazy stuff. We dropped 40 million Orbeez from three cranes, uh, which was just wild and crazy looking. Uh, We filled uh, pools with them. What you call that aspirational. Right. So the big stunts are always aspirational. We've done lots of these crazy big stunts with products, but then you want to do things that are attainable by a kid. Like you want the kids to, you know, so some are like the big ideas, like, wow, I could never do that, but that's so cool. And then you want the things like, oh, I could do that. Like when we did the uh, video with the boots, we did these clear boots, put Orbeez in them, and then the kids put the feet in the Orbeez boots, uh, or the kids put their feet in the boots full of Orbeez, and they started walking around and that thing got 16 million views. That's pretty fun, and I know that we couldn't buy those boots anymore on Amazon because they were sold out. So kids saw it and go, "Hey, I could do this for twenty bucks. I can buy these boots and a couple bottles of Orbeez. I can do this."
0: Right, and that's that's. I mean, that's kind of what I what I always talk about is like allowed naughtiness. I mean, it's sort of like right. not the intended use of it. And that's the kind of thing that that, uh, that kids love to do. They love to be able to break
1: the rules, as right. it were. like Corruptible play.
0: Corruptible play. And it's fairly innocent, but it's something that's just a little bit whacked that kids are going to think is really funny. Right. And uh,
1: It's, it's corruptible know, play. What? How do you mean that, corruptible play? Well, you show them how to use it the right way, but right. then by showing them all these sort of um, off ways of doing right. it that are a little bit wacky and silly they love that and that's that makes it almost more fun right and hopefully inspires
0: them to do other types of things, right. which is really fun. I mean I know my friend Frank when he was uh, we uh, when we were in high school, we filled his bathtub. We made jello in his bathtub. Oh, that's so, awesome! That's so hilarious. He, said, he came out. and He had an entire bathtub full of green jello. And that was before YouTube. That we was were before ahead of your YouTube. Time. We were well, we were just behavior problems, but but you know we were always doing that kind of thing. Like, Imagine it,
1: the subscribers you'd have now.
0: I know. What can we blow up? You know, yeah, we've yeah, got really. an M80. <laughs> what can we blow up?
1: <laughs> we we tried to show safe ways to blow up. No, with I know, I know, I know you <laughs> do, but it, but
0: it's like I still have all my fingers and toes. So do my brother um
1: but it was it really is kids love pushing the envelope is really what we're trying to say well and and the thing is why do i have to play with this the way you tell me to play with it i think that's again back to creativity i want to be able to express myself and play with this in a lot of different ways and i think companies are too limited they're like i mean i have this discussion all the time when we're inventing product they say um you know well this we need to have the activity this is how they're gonna do it. They're gonna put the red here and the blue here and the green here and the like no 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 let, let them yes, we can give them that option, but then let them have the flexibility to do it their own way too. I think you'll have a lot more success because there's a lot of kids that don't want to do it the way you want to do it, but right. they'll still love the product.
0: Right. They want to express themselves, as we've been saying. They want, they want to find their own way to do it and they want to make it up. I've known you for many years, mm-hmm. and this is my first time coming to your uh offices if we can use the word <laughs> loosely uh, I walked in I was greeted by an animatronic bear of course <laughs> because why not right of course you have a 360 degree theater which is virtual reality you have a room that is designed really for um, brainstorming with a screen that can take a hundred feet of, uh, of video video content, video right? content linearly uh, what's up with all that? <laughs> It's with, not your typical
1: office. No, but we, we've really, I mean, there's a few things. One is we've embraced the fun. Mm-hmm. And two, we've embraced technology. When it comes to exploring ideas, we want to make sure that we have the tools that we need to brainstorm with partners all over the world. And we want to have the tools that are going to be able to help us come up with that unusual, unexpected idea. It's not easy to come up with 30 or 40 lines to license every year. You've got to you gotta really got to, it's not you know I heard. it seems like it's magical yeah, when I, I look at what you do. Yeah, I just we don't even try. <laughs> it just happens. But I think it's it's about making a, a really fun environment, trying to make a place that we can use tools and technology to inspire ideas. The 360 theater is one, it's very fun, but it's actually it's virtual reality. Right. And it's shared virtual reality instead of putting on a headset on we're actually able to sit down together and be in a 360 degree environment. I think I took you to a place in Africa with elephants. Elephants. And
0: uh, a a beach. We looked at uh, seascapes, and we were in all kinds of
1: different environments. Rock concerts. Rock concerts, yeah. And and we can even be in a retail environment. If I wanna say, hey, we're in the toy section of the store, we can brainstorm sitting in the middle of the game section or the doll section. As we're talking and sharing, so we don't have to wear the headsets. It's basically a shared virtual reality experience.
0: That's great, and because that's something that nobody's really solved virtual reality for kids yet. And I think partially, you know, for, I think that's partially be a it's so expensive to be to be really good, but b it's isolating and it's, kids and they want know. to run around
1: with the headsets, and right. that's not so safe.
0: Right? Exactly, and uh, and I get car sick in some of those. Right.
1: <laughs> But did you notice, you weren't as I wasn't, sick, I wasn't. Right, in the-, in the Physically. Three, yes, yes, yes. No, but I, I think it's it's just really important to embrace technology and, and the brainstorming wall, we're using a system called Nereva. It is a brainstorming uh, wall where I can move hundreds and hundreds of pieces of information and visuals. And what's so cool is there can be people in China and people in Australia and people all over the world, all at the same time on the same digital board working wow. together. When they move something on the board, it's moving in every location of everyone working on it. It's really cool. And I think I'm like cool cuz I use Skype.
0: <laughs> 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 but that's great because it does again, you know, it goes back to the essence of play, which is human interaction. Right. And the idea is like what are what are we going to do next, which is really the essence of play. Right. Like what are we going to do next? Uh, you know, and that, that that facilitates that in a virtual way.
1: Right, and you want to keep surprising people. What what we use today may not be what we use two years from now. I mean, we're constantly trying new technologies, new systems. Uh, new. I mean, we have slot machines with different images on them that you'll pull the slot machine and try to come up with weird mixes of things and try to force associate to create a new toy. Right. Uh, we got that massive toy room with thousands and thousands of toys that you can just grab off the shelf and go, hey, this is from 30 years ago. Right. This is from last week. It's all these tools combined that I think help people to find that extra, unusual, unexpected thing.
0: All right. And then there is the intangible nature of keeping that sense of wonder that we had as kids. I mean, I still go, when I walk around Toy Fair, I walk into something, I, I want that, oh, wow, I want to play with that moment.
1: I think I like inventing so much is the same reason I like magic. I love that moment when I see a magic trick and I don't know how it works. And I've been doing this a long time. That was my background is magic and illusion. And I don't see that many things that fool me anymore. But when I do see one, I'm so excited. Same thing with toys. If I see a toy and it makes me go, Oh, I didn't think of that. That's so special. That's so different. That's, that's just the most wonderful moment ever in an inventor's uh, life, especially if it's something that your team created.
0: One of the things that, that I know about you is you're my only friend, Who has a spaceship? (laughs) What's up with the spaceship?
1: (laughs) We uh, Planet Hollywood was going out of business years ago. Oh, really? (laughs) And I said, you know, what are they going to do with that spaceship room? And I bought the interior of uh, the Planet Hollywood spaceship room. And that's how we built it at the other building. Uh-huh. And then when we moved over here, we said, okay, let's, uh, let's bring it over. Because everyone's like, are you bringing the spaceship? Well, you like, got to bring, bring the spaceship. spaceship. <laughs> right. So we decided to do something a little different with it this time. That's why it's uh, in a new place with right. a brand new laser system. Uh, but the, the whole idea, the reason we like the idea of a spaceship is it's about exploring and going outside of our world to find something new. And it was sort of a, a great symbol of uh, the goal and the activity that we do as far as inventing product.
0: Well, that's, that's amazing. Uh, it's truly magical. What you're doing here is magical. You have an, an enormous team of people who are making magic. You're all making magic together. Um, if this uh, podcast thing doesn't work out, can I have a job? <laughs> <laughs> come, come help us make toys. Yeah, Why really, not? Really. Uh, well, Jim McCafferty, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, hosting me here at JMP Creative all afternoon. It's been awesome. Uh, you've been listening to the Playground Podcast. Richard is going to kick himself that he didn't get to participate in this, but hopefully I'll bring him down here and we'll uh, we'll do this again.
1: Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. This is the
0: Playground Podcast, and we'll be right back with the end cap. And now we come to the part of the show that we call the end cap where Richard and I talk about some ideas and concepts and issues that are top of mind in the toy industry right now. And we are recording this in November. And Richard is back with me after my conversation with Jim. And today we're talking about toy awards. It seems timely, at least. What are you thinking, Richard? Well, I wrote an article, actually a
2: couple of articles, uh, on Hot Toys versus the toady nominee. And uh, I think it's very intriguing. We have these hot toy lists from Walmart, Target, Amazon, and other major retailers, and it's it's basically them telling the consumer what they should be panicked about finding <laughs> during the the holiday season. Uh, and uh, it is essentially, as we've discussed before on this program, it's a it's a self fulfilling prophecy. These are the toys that these. Uh, retailers have invested in that they want to really move a large quantity on. And so it's, it's a marketing scheme. And then on the other hand, we have the Toady Awards, which are our equivalent uh, as an industry of the Oscars or the Emmys, if you will. It's basically uh, the industry saying these are the best toys. Now, there were 123 toys that I counted on the, the Toadie list that were nominated, and there were 95 Hot Toys. Uh, What surprised me was only uh, uh, 10 of the toys uh, that were on the Toadies showed up on the Hot Toilets. And so it's it's an interesting question, I think, as to why do these toys get a a wonderful uh, affirmation from the, the toy industry, but yet it doesn't seem to turn into the dollar and the recognition from where it counts.
0: Well, I think as with any awards program, one is subject to the biases and the intentions of the award. And I've served on awards committees that were both marketing driven and I've been a, a nominator for the Toady Awards for several years. I've also served as a nominator on theater awards. So each of these things has a different kind of personality. And what's the objective? The objective for some of the marketing-based awards is to generate publicity and awareness for products that are going to sell during the season. The Toady Awards, on the other hand, really do try to look at what is quote unquote best in any number of different categories. And there are really clear criteria for the Toadies. And if you don't know them, they're creativity and originality, design and quality, play value, marketing and promotion. So over the course of about three weeks, the nominators grade hundreds of toys on these criteria. And the neat thing about the Toadie Awards is there are a lot of diverse people on that panel. There's people like me, there's the people from the from the toy book. There are educators, there are retailers. There's a lot of people who come with a different perspective. And you're also going to see a lot of specialty toys that wouldn't necessarily sell at the volume that a quote-unquote hot toy would at a mass market retailer, but that are still really excellent toys and deliver a great play experience. So it's a, it's, they're really apples and oranges. They're two very different lists with different intentions.
2: I tell you, Chris, I, I, I think that it's a statement about the lack of uh, sufficient number of independent toy retailers in the United States. You know, it, it, it's a little bit like a foreign film <laughs> that wins an Oscar, but yet it only shows up in a few theaters. Yeah, right. Uh, right, and so we do not have a sufficient number of independent or or toy-only toy stores in this country. Uh, I understand why Target, Walmart make these decisions. They're looking for companies that spend heavy on advertising that, and, and that they have a history with. It's understandable the way uh, the hot toys lists are constructed as opposed to the Tony Awards, but I think it's unfortunate for American families and for these these toy companies that make these very wonderful toys.
0: Well, the good news is that for all the publicity that a lot of the awards get, they are sometimes, and I don't mean to insult anybody, but they're sometimes a little bit irrelevant. We see a lot of toys... That do very very well that don't even get nominated for a toady award that they may submit them they may be submitted for a toady award, but they don't make it to the nomination process so for example, you may have a couple of hundred toys in a given category, but at most you 're going to see seven or eight nominees in that category so it's it's the same as with movies you 'll see a lot of movies that will make a lot of money but they 're not going to win an Oscar award similarly when uh, Everybody thought Wicked was going to win the Tony Award for Best Musical. Guess what? It went to Avenue Q instead. Shock, shock, shock. Well, guess what? Up until the time the theaters were closed, Wicked was still running and Avenue Q had closed. One of the great things about the Tony Awards, though, is that they raised the profile within the industry for a small toy. I'll give you one example. Last year, outdoor toy, I think it was uh, this little company called Create-A-Castle. They were a one-product company. They'd gotten a lot of attention because they basically molded sand castles, and you could do it with snow as well. They won a Toadie Award. And suddenly, the next day at Toy Fair, their booth is swamped with people. So it really does have a benefit. It's like everybody wants to be with a winner.
2: Well, that's a really good point, and it's it's good to see that there is a very solid benefit from winning a toady. I, I just wish we'd see more of these toys at retail and getting the kind of promotion that creates new brands and builds our industry.
0: The one thing that I have seen as I've been visiting with toy companies virtually during during lockdown has been that there is a lot of great creativity coming out right now one of the toys that was nominated the upside down challenge from van Gogh is a from a one product company it's their initial product they are just getting a foothold in the industry they're doing very well they've been uh, not on any hot toy retailer list, but guess what? They can't keep it in stock. So for a small company, they are doing really, really well. They've been nominated for a toady. So on some level, they feel like, well, we've really arrived now. We are a toy company in the toy business. We had company founder and product inventor Alex Tung on the show. And now that he's been nominated for a toady award... He really feels like he's arrived in the toy industry. So it really is a great platform for small companies to be known throughout the industry and to set a bar for other new games and new companies to aim for.
2: Okay, well, thank you, Chris. I enjoyed the conversation.
0: Uh, Absolutely. And we will see what happens with the hot toilets as we see sales developing in the next few weeks. And we'll see what happens with the toadies when we go to a virtual celebration next year in February. This is the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne with Richard Gottlieb. We are supported by Global Toy Experts, The Toy Guy, and Chizcom. And we will see you next time. Hope you're having a great holiday season.